Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction uh, 657. Science Faction Quasar Mysteries and your newest bird flew. Quasar Mysteries, that definitely sounds like an MCU title, like Doctor Strange and the Quasar Mysteries or something. Yeah, I could also imagine it describing a series of vomits that were unaccounted for. Like, listen, (laughs) somebody got drunk and threw up everywhere all over the second floor bathroom. We have a Quasar (laughs) Mystery. It It started just as... Like in reference to being queasy, but became the quasar mysteries. It sounds like like if uh, if English was conjugated the same way Latin was, like like to queeze in a bathroom would be a quasar. <laughs> I, th- I think it's actually who queefed. That is the quasar <laughs> mystery. I would love to see in Spanish class to queef, quafar. <laughs> By the way, I just realized this. I'm kind of offended that we don't have a term for a male queef. Like that—that that has always been a female-specific term, and I believe it. Re- yeah. So, like, I—I've never blown a, a, a air out of my dick in, in, in any way. In any way, but I'm, I'm sure not in any way to cause you a live a sheltered ass life. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> you're telling me. You're telling me with a straight fucking face. <laughs> you never hooked up a small capacity air compressor to your urethra in order to fill up your bladder for a funny joke, and then had a butt. <laughs> of that air escape uncomfortably later at work because you forgot about the joke. Are you telling me that right now? Uh, I grew up Mormon. So like like my body's a temple and I'm not allowed to uh, violate it with some sort of high pressure uh, air device. (laughs) By the way, uh, I got my 23andMe results back. I am a 1.5% Ashkenazi Jew, which is weird because I look 900%. So... (laughs) Yeah, no, I said I was 1.5% Ashkenazi Jew, which really surprised me. Oh, and like, sure. and like 1.3% uh, Senegalese. So Really? <laughs> yeah, that one surprised me too. But, uh, yeah. The, but, uh, but yes, I can confirm that uh, for years I had suspected due to my complexion and just general uh, appearance that uh, I was not the result of two Mexican parents, but in fact, uh, some... I don't. I don't know. At this point, I think an Ashkenazi Jewish couple fleeing a super f- future Nazi, space Nazis, left me. Wait, what did you say? It was like one percent. I don't think. Listen, they, I lost a lot of percentage going back through time with my with my super advanced time traveling parents, Bobby. But but yeah, I'm twenty percent uh, Native American. So Bobby, again, I'd like to say, please, I am a mestizo, a person of the New World, and. I just would like for you, especially when you're out um, uh, 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 t- uh, speaking with my people. Sure. 20%. Now, that is going to obviously refer to the, the Mexican side, which is, again, part of a stand-up joke that I had for a long time, which is that in America, we now, at least now, I mean, this hasn't always been the case, but we now currently think of Native Americans as like the very noble inheritors of the ancient traditions of this land and and people, people. pretend to be native american because they're like eight percent or something like that and then we go well what about 
what if you were a Native American and you were slightly south of here? Like, oh, that's just a Mexican. Like, I don't know. Like, he, like here, we call them Native Americans. We call them by their tribal names. We blah, 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 over there. It's just a Mexican guy. Yep. Uh, I will say for here, uh, I also found out that there is a very high con- – the number one place in the world outside of, I guess, San Diego, my house, for the uh, person mm-hmm. with with genes similar to me, Jalisco, Mexico, Bobby. So please really? refer to – Yes, Jalisco, Mexico. Uh, and yeah. the other part of the other part of me was uh, was uh, the other part, the white part, the European part, was uh, was mostly Spanish Portuguese. So well, that makes sense. Yeah. So so I so it's legit Mexican, Bobby. And uh, yeah. so so I want to bet with you that we made in eighth grade when you said mm-hmm. when I said I was I but I'm Mexican and you laughed in my face and got me beat up by all those cholos. But now <laughs> ma- now Los Hombres is outside your door. Oh, man, those chillers are going to feel real stupid when you tell them about all your relatives in Jalisco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those guys owe me money. I'm going to beat it out of you. Uh, dear, and speaking of beating it out, I, of course, am your host, comedian archaeologist Robert Timothy. With me, as always, is my comedian, the one who is the multi-ethnic miracle, none other than Mr. Damien Mercado. Damien, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great, especially as I found out that uh, I am actually one of the uh, the chosen people, part of the tribe. Uh, I uh-huh. should, so I'm going to apply sure. for my Israeli citizenship uh, very soon. Uh-huh. And a lot of my thoughts about the Palestine is going to change when I pick up, when I start uh, uh, Israel's first comedy science podcast. You will not be hard to replace there. I, I can't wait for you to do Birthright Israel, where they you're like, listen, I insist you pay for me to go learn about my heritage. Yes. <laughs> And then I just go and uh, me and uh, 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 me and Shmuley start our own podcast where he reads yeah. off science jokes uh, uh, off of uh, annexed territory from a palace that used to be a Palestinian family room. Uh, that's where we'll record from. <laughs> Uh, dear, and if you guys want to hear recordings from a Palestinian family room, go ahead and check out our Patreon. <laughs> so only monsters are in our Patreon. Only fucking monsters. Robert Timothy on um, Patreon. Stop being anti-Semitic. <laughs> I'm an Ashkenazi Jew, Bobby. I cannot, by definition, be anti-Semitic. An Uncle Herschel? Are you calling me an, an, an Uncle Herschel? <laughs> I don't know what the, what, the, what the Thomas equivalent is for my people. I have yet to learn Yiddish. But... Oh, dear, I believe Thomas is itself a Jewish name. All right, anyway, long story short, uh, go check out our Patreon. But for now, let's get right on to science articles. From molecules to particles, this is Science Articles. I got a lot to talk about uh, when I pray to the Kabbalah monster later today. (laughs) I know very little about my faith. What is the Kabbalah monster's name, Damien? <laughs> Yahweh, but I know that because I've seen Indiana Jones. It's uh, uh, Oscar the Jewish guy? I don't, I don't know, okay? Is Oscar the cobbler? He does fine work. Doesn't work on Sundays, but... Oh, dear. All right, article number one. We finally solved the Quasar mystery. Was it... The supernova with gamma radiation in the pillars of creation. Sort of. So, Damien, what do you know about quasars? I'm just interested, like just from your your lay perspective. Uh, I, I know that it's uh, there, there's probably a Marvel uh, superhero somewhere in the 80s or mm-hmm. 70s ma- based named Quasar, but outside of that, 
Uh, I know it's a it's a it's I know it's one of the many things that uh, that uh, uh, astrophysicists say about uh, all, like cool things happening in space. And I got just like uh, sure, just like your average layperson might call uh, any piece mm. of equi- uh, 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 construction equipment uh, a dump truck, a backhoe. A backhoe uh, yeah. They're all bulldozers. I'm going to refer yes. to them all as quasars or black holes. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well. Uh... Let's just say you're actually not that far off, just by by bringing up the black hole thing. So, at least I was going to say, was... Bobby, I am a, uh, one of the chosen people. A lot of my answers uh, are channeled through a higher power. Uh, it, th- those answers aren't said by me; they're actually said through me. Now we have things in in you know astrophysics that are known quantities. They're you know a yellow star, a, a red star, a, a red giant star, a blue supergiant, like all these things. We have these things that are known quantities. We even know what obviously a black hole is, even though we can't directly see a black hole. We can only observe its effects. We know what they are. We know how they're formed. Quasars were always kind of this enigma, this mystery. All we knew was they were incredibly powerful things, usually very far away. Uh, There was more of them that seemed to radiate, uh, showing us that they were older or from older parts of the universe. They were very, very bright lights out in space that we didn't really know what they were. We knew they were way, way, way too powerful to be any kind of star or, or even a black hole or anything like that. But we couldn't quite tell what they were. They were just basically really loud sources of radio waves, and in some cases, light. Uh, and in some cases, light that could be detected and stuff. And they shone super, super brightly, and they were the equivalent of tons of energy getting giving off. But we weren't quite sure what they were. There had been thoughts that they were black holes that were like digesting stuff, and this was the process of them being digested. And it turns out that that is true. But in this case, we have figured out exactly how this process works, and it's actually super, super interesting. So uh, what this new paper identifies is is that they're more than just huge explosions of energy in the distant universe. They're actually those supermassive black holes that we've talked about at the center of every galaxy, including our own galaxy. We have these supermassive black holes. They're gigantic, sometimes like a billion times the mass of the sun. They are very, very powerful, very strong. But because they're so powerful and so strong, there's nothing really close to them. So if you look at our the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy, kind of near where Sagittarius is, there's nothing getting sucked in because it has already absorbed everything that is close to it. And that is the case essentially with all of these supermassive black holes. These things that have the power to draw in large amounts of matter and make big explosions like a quasar, there's no matter near them. Otherwise, they couldn't be so big. So what we're actually seeing, at least according to this paper, when we see a quasar, is the collision of two different galaxies that take these this massive amount of matter, which is usually in the form of giant clouds, giant giant uh, space clouds, basically, that are usually far away from the center of galaxies that can't be absorbed by those supermassive black holes. When galaxies collide, they get close enough that they can. And those supermassive black holes at the center of those galaxies now have access to this huge amount of matter and basically suck it all in. Now, we don't see what happens once it gets sucked in. Again, a black hole sucks in everything, even light and, you know, ultraviolet radiation and stuff that would be coming off and telling us what's going on. All that gets sucked back into the black hole. But with these massive clouds that are surrounding the black hole in the collision of two galaxies, all of a sudden, as all of that matter is being dramatically pulled into the center of that black hole, 
all the friction, all the energy, all the movement is this massive release of energy that we then see as quasars. So what we're actually seeing is black holes gobbling up massive amounts of matter from a different galaxy as two different galaxies collide. And we're only seeing the uh, like the matter as it passes beyond the event horizon. That's the stuff when that's yeah. that's the quasar. That's where stuff picks starts picking up steam. No, past the event horizon, we can't see anything. Oh, the event horizon is by definition the area where nothing can get out, and so you know all the light, all the everything is going to get sucked back into that black hole. We're actually seeing everything on the outside of the event horizon that is being pulled towards it so fast that like the friction with the stuff around it and the energy of it, movement and stuff, that is outputting like this gigantic flash of energy. Gotcha. So that means like when like the Enterprise like ejects its. It's the lithium core, trilithium core, mm-hmm. and detonates it. Uh, you're saying that is not accurate. They could not escape that event horizon, no matter how many warp cores they detonate behind them. No, because they would not be creating a black hole. A black hole is what then has the event horizon that sucks everything in. Okay, so you have until that point to detonate your warp core, <laughs> but then after that, there ain't, there ain't no amount of uh, warp technology that's getting you out of it? Let's just say yes. Let's say yes. Okay, you heard it here, guys. Star Trek is real. Come on, Professor Cochran. So how exactly did we figure this out? Here's a quote from the article. This is the first time that a sample of quasars of this size has been imaged with this level of sensitivity. By comparing observations of 48 quasars and their host galaxies with images of over 100 non-quasar galaxies, researchers concluded that galaxies hosting quasars are approximately three times as likely to be interacting or colliding with other galaxies. So this is basically because we're getting better info back from our telescopes, we are able to kind of get better resolution. We're able to look back and see what are the similarities with quasar galaxies and ones without it. And it seems like at least in the majority of cases, the commonality is that these are galaxies that are colliding or interacting with other galaxies. That gives access to those supermassive black holes at the center of those galaxies to mass that is otherwise unavailable to it. And that mass getting sucked into those big black holes is the biggest exportation of energy that we know in the known universe, which is crazy because like, if you think about it, this isn't a nuclear process. This isn't, you know, fusion at the heart of a, a star. This isn't even like a star exploding in a nova. This isn't, this is literally Gravity just gone something wild. getting. Yes, that's a great, that's <laughs> actually a great name for it. I saw those videos in high school. It's great. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's just stuff getting sucked into the center. And this is so fucking cool. I remember reading like in the fifth grade, like reading a printed out textbook like they used to have about, you know, big celestial phenomenon. And they talked about quasars as being these bright lights, you know, that we see out in the middle of space. And the answer was kind of like, and I'm sure there was more to it even back then. They just didn't have it in the fifth grade textbook. But the answer back then was like, Oh, we don't fucking know what this is. Like, this is this is just some crazy shit. Who knows? Aliens? I don't know. Big. I, who cares? But it was just one of those huge mysteries. Then, as time went on, we thought that they were associated with supermassive black holes, and we now know that there's supermassive black holes sucking these things in. It is just so cool that during our lifetime, these questions get answered in a way that is that we can go to bed at night knowing like, oh, hey, I understand the universe in a better way now. (laughs) I hope St. Peter asked me this question and not (laughs) what happened to my first two wives. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so so a quasar, to to, to lock it in, a quasar is the, is it the energy caused by the two galaxies colliding or is it 
uh, just the energy caused just like entire suns and planets are crushed and yanked at, like are are yanked at breakneck speed. Uh, in- yeah, it's the. It's the second. It's the it's the fact that now the collision is what makes this possible because otherwise those supermassive black holes are have already sucked up all the matter near them long before they got big enough to cause this. So it's not you're not going to see it. But in this case, you know, the, yes, that's exactly what it is. It's 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 somebody pulling the stopper on the bathtub and it's sucking all the water down and that noise you hear the as that water goes down the tub, that is the energy output of all this stuff being flashed across the fucking universe to a degree that's like, it's hard to explain, but we are seeing, we see these things from across the universe. These are like these beacon lights that are shining from the other side of the, not galaxy, the other side of the fucking universe. Your analogy worked worked really well uh, on the drain if that drain had been in fracking country and you could light the water as it was going down. Yes. I feel like that would have been a great visual representation. Uh, now, uh, something that's interesting is when a quasar does ignite, when the all that energy, all that gas being rushed into the center of that black hole ignites with all that that energy and and kind of puts off that all that energy. It actually can it can actually drive the rest of the gas out of that galaxy, which then will prevent star formation for billions of years in the future. Meaning that when we're seeing a quasar going off, we're basically seeing the functional death of that galaxy for at least for some amount of time. So quasars aren't just the collision of two galaxies. They're kind of the sterilization of them. Yeah. The Galactus of of galaxies. It is the the destroyer of worlds. it, 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 uh, It is salting the fields, the crops. Yeah, and that will eventually happen to our own galaxy in about five billion or so years when we combine, when we collide with Andromeda. You know, that will happen with the supermassive black holes that are at the center of each of our own galaxies as they suck in the other stuff and then sterilize our galaxies for billions of years in the future. Is uh, is that how things end? Not with a bang, but with uh, a quasar. Is, yeah, is that how the, the that galaxy ends? Is it all gets sucked? Is it all black holes sucking and everything? Well, we don't know that yet. Now, it stops the formation of planets and stars and stuff for billions of years, but eventually stuff can still accumulate and come back in. Mm. And so it doesn't mean that it's necessarily forever down. Now, to be fair, our sun will have yeah. fried out by that point and our planet will be gone when the sun expands yes. and, and stuff. So, like, you know, we'll be gone. It's not like you have to worry about your Pokemon collectible cards getting taken out by this Quasar. They will be gone long before Are, are, are you sure, Bobby? Because my boss needs to know at least a month in advance if I'm not going to be into work. Because, like, like you're making <laughs> me look like an asshole here. You've made me look like an asshole in the past and I feel like I'm going to look like an asshole again today when I uh, don't call in for the end of the world. Uh, very, very cool. I just, I love every time we solve one of those mysteries, especially the big ones. And, you know, it's hard to think of something bigger than a quasar. Bobby, you are a size queen when it comes to science mysteries. I am. I am a huge size queen. And by the way, I think everybody is. They just pretend not to. They're like, like, listen, we get it. Your galaxy has a steady job and, and they, they're really good at, at raising planets. We get it. You have to pretend like size doesn't matter. But we all know that every once in a while you're side-eyeing the supermassive black hole of the Andromeda <laughs> galaxy next door going, that'd be nice. Yeah, does, does your wife ever come up to you and be like, no, Bobby, I, sometimes the small discoveries are better. I actually prefer the small discoveries, Bobby. No, the, pa- the paper you published was perfect. <laughs> you know, sometimes, yes, sure, sure. Everybody likes a big meal sometimes, but sometimes you just want a snack. <laughs> it's, 
Yeah, nobody wants a snack. Everybody wants a meal. Everybody, when it comes to sex, everybody wants to be the Joey Chestnut. But so few people can deliver the hot the Nathan's hot dog competition, Bobby. Oh dear! And at this point, I don't know if we're talking about size or quantity because I believe the, the the Joey Chestnut analogy makes it a gangbang. I'm not a hundred percent. There's a lot of hot dogs. Listen, I don't not care. one giant one. A hundred footlongs. That's that's even better. This is listen. This listen. Why, why why it's not a it's not a quantity or quality thing. You have give me both. Give me them all. And that's why your small study is not is not satisfying <laughs> anybody. I I did I did actually now that we're married Bobby I did actually have an accredited scientist uh, I had Craig Venter uh, come into uh-huh. my house and uh, and uh, and uh, read studies off to my wife uh, as I watched in the corner and quietly masturbated. Oh dear! Article number two: <laughs> Bird flu and you. Bird flu and you. That that sounds like a like a like a very racist uh, Ben Shapiro movie uh, in response to COVID. Like that's oh, it's like a buddy comedy. I was going a different route. I was thinking more like, "Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret." Uh, but about bird flu, <laughs> or maybe it's like a really cool, I you know, kung fu movie uh, that 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 makes the J- Chinese CDC look awesome, starring Jackie Chan, and it has that kind of classic, like humorous style kung fu where sure. he's, he breaks a vase, even though he's trying really hard to not break. There'd be beakers. He's trying really hard to let the beakers not be broken. So this is actually super interesting. Damien, do you remember a few months ago when it was like nigh impossible to get eggs? Yes. Well, I mean, I just know that there were a lot of memes. Like, when I'm a millionaire, you, I won't tell anybody, but there'll be signs. And then the guy's eating like a 12-egg omelet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, that happened because of a huge culling of chickens because of a bird flu that is currently going through the United States. Now... We've had bird flu sweep through before, it was just five or six years ago, we had a, a big one go through, but this, this is a much bigger deal, and scientists are raising the flag that this looks like it's going to be a big deal, essentially indefinitely. So, a quote from the article, the data shows the progression of a highly pathogenetic H5N1 bird flu as it spread from Eurasia to the U.S., where it was first documented in late 2021. By October 2022, the disease had resulted in 31 reported wild bird mass mortalities, accounting for an estimated 33,000 wild bird detections in the U.S. and Canada. In addition, more than 58 million, million domestic poultry were infected or had to be culled to limit the spread of the infection in the U.S. and 7 million in Canada, end quote. So this bird flu has come through. We had to kill a whole bunch of our our, uh, chickens and whatnot to keep them from spreading and to keep this thing from going through. Now, here is what's terrifying about this. We have had these previous infections before, and basically it becomes a how many chickens can you kill game? Like, the as the bird flu is spreading, we just have to get ahead of it and kill a bunch of chickens. Like, when firefighters light smaller fires <laughs> as to make a fire break, like, that's what we were doing, uh, but with, like, a... A chicken chainsaw, which is how I assume they do it. Uh, they like we were just going through and killing enough chickens ahead of the infection that didn't get out. This is different because this has gotten into the wild bird population, which has never happened before, and that makes that infection essentially endemic. There's no way for us to get rid of it. In previous cases of bird flu outbreaks, all we've done is gotten ahead of it, wiped out all of the poultry. That su- that sufficed. We lost you know millions of dollars of revenue, but that was it. Then we were done with it. That that 
disease didn't have anywhere to go. Now it's in reservoirs of wild bird populations. It's causing massive wild bird die-offs because North American birds do not have natural immunities to this. This is a Eurasian disease, and it's coming over here. It's causing massive issues in wild bird populations and demolishing our, our poultry stock. And this is going to likely not be over. This is not going to be like the 2015 bird flu you know, sweep that came through and we had to cull a bunch of birds. This is likely just going to be the way we live now and how much of the native bird population it wipes out and how much of the captive poultry population it wipes out yet to be known. But this is likely just something we will deal with. And frankly, as we're all possibly thinking, something that will at some point likely jump over into humans at some point, one way or another. Now, whether that's incredibly virulent or pathogenic. You weren't worried about massive... Okay. No, I was thinking as the CEO of Foster Farms, I was thinking of the CEO of whatever the the biggest egg manufacturer is, the the, the Tyson chicken of of eggs. I was thinking, what do we do? Clearly, the chicken is not a sustainable food source anymore. It is not reliable. The the supply chain, uh, for a number of issues beyond our control, uh, due to flu reservoirs and wild birds, no longer possible. What we need to start doing is look for another species of egg. And the thing is, this bird flu, we can't we, we may need to go outside the avian family. So we've been breeding monotremes for years to take okay. over so, the egg market and the fried chicken uh, cutlet market. Or what if we go the other way and it's like lizards? Right. So we we have just a series of tiny little <laughs> eggs that we use to make our omelets. I have a feeling I don't think lizards a lay eggs regularly the way birds do that are non-fertilized, but maybe we can use some kind of genetic engineering. And, you know, who wouldn't love to walk into a chicken coop full of geckos and monitor lizards that just scramble away when you get close? Or, or, you no, know, because you want, like, big eggs. Maybe, like, Komodo Drax, like the guy. You know, it's actually the most dangerous. It's It beats buffalo farming for the most dangerous yeah. farming position. Komodo uh, dragon or even, uh, I think, a monitor lizard. That could be pretty scary, too. That's yeah, pretty- absolutely it could. Uh why won't? Why is my monotreme idea just being written off out of hand? Just because the the, the consumers don't want to eat a baby platypus or echidna? Is that why? Well, there's a lot of things. Again, I don't think they just lay unfertilized eggs. I think it's actually incredibly hard to like breed them in captivity just to get more um, another platypus, much less to have like extra eggs to eat. Like I, I think that's actually quite a bit. You're comparing the chicken we know now, the chicken that's been groomed uh-huh. over years to, sure. to lay these eggs and to, and to have sweet, delicious breast meat. Like I am just saying, we have our ability. We have conquered the genome. We can mm-hmm. we can GM a platypus with huge, sexy breast, sexy bimbo, like wearing a t- like a thong and a top breast, and 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 lay unfertilized eggs for me to fertilize. I'm sorry, what were we talking about? This works. Yeah, that's the way this works. No, but I I mean, yeah, I am interested to see like what changes get made in terms of poultry production because I have a feeling th- this might very well signal a shift from those giant mega chicken farms that you see, especially like in places like the South where there will be buildings that are half a mile long by 100 feet wide that are just jammed with chickens and they're laying eggs nonstop and, you know, a million eggs pop out of every one of those buildings every single morning. We might be shifting towards something because if you think that, I mean, once one of those birds gets infected, all of them are infected and they they get called. Whereas if you had 
smaller populations with less contact to outside populations, you could theoretically kind of stem that fire, right? It's almost like clearing brush around a place, like kind of like we were talking about with fire breaks and stuff. If you just had, you know, if if a neighborhood had a little chicken co-op and they all had, yeah, you know, maybe like 20 or 30 chickens and it, it, they were kept isolated and new chickens weren't brought in except rarely when they needed to be. And so therefore there was no vector for those chickens to get sick and they were kept away from wild birds and all that kind of stuff. You could theoretically just have little islands of chickens that would avoid things like these rapidly transmitting viruses, whereas those giant, like you said, those giant Tyson mega farms would almost not stand a chance. Yeah, I, I mean... Who knows? All right, uh, uh, theoretically, like wild theory here is that maybe this is mm-hmm. the the market force needed because I mean I've I've heard that our the, the way we do meat, the way we feed the world, and especially meat production, yeah. chicken, beef is unsustainable. It is it is just yes. it is Cer- certainly with beef, yeah. And that uh, maybe this is the thing that ends the chicken concentration camps. I mean, like don't get me wrong, I I, I love meat and I cannot wait for uh, what's it, unbelievable chicken. You know, or whatever sure. the, the substitute that that because there is a part of me that's like, oh, you know what? I do love chicken, but uh, there's a quiet chicken holocaust happening every second of the day. <laughs> I got I have less of an issue with chicken. You know, I've said on this show probably a dozen times. One of my main contradictions is that I understand how bad red meat is for the world. And yet I still eat it. I understand how bad it is climate wise. And about a year ago, I finally I had heard myself say that enough and I gave up red meat and and. That's been fine, thanks to things like Beyond Burger and stuff. But I'll tell you, I don't have the same issues with chicken. One is you don't have the methane output. So the big deal for me is the greenhouse gas emissions, and chickens just aren't doing it. Now, is there poo sitting and rotting and some methane is getting out? Yes, but it is a tiny percentage of what we see with red meat production. Number two, we don't have to grow specialized grain to feed them, especially in small settings. They're kind of like little scavengers. They'll eat the scraps that you have from your food table. They'll eat insects out of your garden. They'll eat shit like this. So like, you're not creating a bunch of food that could otherwise be eaten to feed them like we do with beef. And we, again, we don't have the methane production because they're not, you know, ungulates chewing up with four chambered stomachs, chewing stuff up. So like, I don't really have as much moral issues. Also, they're dumb as shit, by the way. I'm sorry. Most birds, you know, there's some, there's corvids and stuff that I would never kill because I think they're very smart and there's some birds of prey, but like chickens and stuff like they're dumb. They're not, I don't think they're suffering. We I wouldn't want them in the mega. Who a chicken would beat in a chess match. And yeah. yet, I don't see you volunteering those same friends for, to Tyson. Now, I don't like those big chicken farms either. I don't like the idea of that. That seems very inhumane to me. But honestly, unlike cows, like if we separated it out and everybody just had small scale cow farming, we would still be producing methane, right? We would still, it would still be fucking up the, there is no clean way to do cows, right? But, and we talked about some stuff with seaweed and stuff, but aside from enacting things like that, there isn't really a clean way to do it. But chickens, if you're not being horrible, if you don't have a giant building with four and a half million chickens in it that are like dying on top of each other, if you just have like small scale farms, I really don't see a huge moral issue with eating chickens, especially not eating eggs that come from those chickens. And I don't know. I I am totally down. Free range chicken. I'm down with free range chicken. Yeah. It makes me feel, it, it eases my guilt. 
Yeah, I I am totally fine with that stupid ass bird getting a chance at life that it doesn't deserve. It is not surviving in nature. It is it has no business on the face of this planet. If you get rid of people eating chickens, you have committed a chicken holocaust in and of yourself because it would take, you know, billions of chickens off the face of the earth. I am okay with those stupid little bastards pecking around a yard, eating some food scraps and insects, and then me grabbing their eggs or or eating their meat later on. I think there's an inherent difference when it comes to like chicken and red meat and so like if this spurs that if that pushes if this pushes us towards like small-scale chicken farming as long-term reasonableness i think that's totally okay and like morally and maybe i'll be looked at as a monster in the future because i'm still killing an animal or whatever but morally especially eggs but also eating chicken i'm fine with that if done in those small small ways and so maybe this is this particular bird flu is going to turn us into a moral society or more moral society that's a good argument I like it, but it hasn't worked on me the way you thought it would. Uh, if anything, I am now just looking. And next time I see that dumb friend of ours who would lose uh, a board game to a chicken, mm-hmm. uh, I'm actually going to see him in the same way that like a starving Looney Tunes character who's like on a raft would look at his friend and see a hamburger, like a giant like, steak, a giant. Yeah. Like yeah, he's 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 going to look like a bucket of fried chicken to me. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Well, ironically, that means he'll make you sick. <laughs> all right, thank you, audience, for coming back for Science Faction 657, where you learned all about solving the Quasar mystery and our upcoming bird flu pandemic. Thank you so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction 658. Uh, Professor, can you help me conjugate this? My wife, Quasar, after sex last night. You've been listening to Science Faction. Wait, that's not right. <laughs>